السلام عليكم ورحمة الله مفتي عزيم الدين usually is the one sitting here doing the tafsir and he wouldn't miss the tafsir unless if he had to for those who know he's currently he went to go perform umrah with our final year class and our tahassus class but uh, before I came here, he sent me a voice message saying that he's sitting in Masjid al-Nabawi, he's in Medina Munawwara. Uh, it's tahajjud time, and he's making dua for this majlis. I said, Allahu Akbar. What can you say after that, huh? So Masjid al-Nabawi, tahajjud time over there, and sitting by the umbrellas, uh, he's making dua for the people in this majlis and for this majlis. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from him and accept from all of us. Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala habibillah, Sayyidina wa Mawlana Muhammad ibn Abdullah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Amma ba'd, qala Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala fi kitabihi al-majid, ba'd a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم واصبر نفسك مع الذين يدعون ربهم بالغداه والعشي يريدون وجهه ولا تعد عيناك عنهم تريد زينه الحياه الدنيا ولا تطع من اغفلنا قلبه عن ذكرنا ولا تطع من أغفلنا قلبه عن ذكرنا واتبع هواه وكان أمره وكان أمره فرطا صدق الله العظيم This tafsir درس that goes on I know most individuals look at it that this is a درس of tafsir and it seems like another program the fact of the matter is that if there's one thing that can allow the Muslim Ummah as a whole to get close to Allah and to change themselves collectively, it's the Qur'an. Nothing, nothing in this universe has the power to change the people than the Kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the Muslims and if the Muslims hold on firmly to the Qur'an, hold on firmly to the Qur'an, the spiritual benefit, the teachings of the Qur'an, the hidayah of the Qur'an, if they follow it, Wallahi al-Azim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them a type of honor in this life and in the hereafter that none have seen before. Why? The example of that are the Sahaba. You look at the Sahaba. Look at the Sahaba as collectively. What did they accomplish? How did they accomplish it? The Prophet ﷺ in a span of 23 years, and this is a sign of his prophethood. It's a sign of his prophethood. In 23 years, he changed. He changed a, a group of people in such a way. It's a complete 180 degree change. People who, who were involved in killing who loved bloodshed, who, who were involved in fornication, who were involved in adultery, who were involved in, in, in wine and drinking, who used to write ashaar, who used to write poetry about these things and their love for these things. In a span of 23 years, Allah, uh, through the Prophet ﷺ, through the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely changed them. When once the Sahabi was asked to describe, when a tabi'i asked, could you please describe the Sahaba? said, they were individuals, I paraphrase, they were individuals who would be in the morning speaking. They would, they would joke with one another. They would uh, 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 run and they would uh, uh, race one another. They would practice archery and by night they would be ruhbana. They would be standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, dedicating their night to worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These individuals, subhanAllah, where did that change come from? It's the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So just as the reciting of the Qur'an is very important, and there are people, unfortunately, in our communities, who you will hear say this, that, well, the goal of the Qur'an is to understand the Qur'an, not reading the Qur'an. Why, why do our kids memorize the Qur'an? I've heard this from people, from Muslims, say, there shouldn't be that much emphasis and focus in memorizing the Qur'an. There should be more emphasis in learning the Qur'an. No, subhanAllah. The emphasis should be equally on both. Where there's emphasis on memorizing the Qur'an, there must be equal emphasis in understanding the Qur'an. Then there are those individuals who will read the Qur'an, who will recite the Qur'an, but trying to understand the Qur'an, they don't care. So we're reading the Qur'an. We read in the morning, we read in the evening. We read one juz every day, two juz every day, five juz every day. But they have no idea what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. The Muslim should be one who not only uh, is motivated to memorize the Qur'an, but also understand the Qur'an. What Allah is saying to him, what Allah ta'ala is uh, communicating to him. This is Allah's kalam that he revealed onto the heart of the Prophet It was not easy. The revelation that came down to the Prophet ﷺ, don't think that it was easy. عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنذِرِينَ It came down on لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنذِرِينَ It came down on the heart of the Prophet ﷺ. Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, the very first chapter of Sahih al-Bukhari talks about how wahi began. And there's a narration of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha in there that she says that sometimes when the weather would be cold, when the weather would be cold and wahi would start coming down onto the Prophet there would be beads of sweat that would be rolling down from the face of the Prophet despite the cold weather. That's how difficult it was. And it comes in a hadith, I believe in Abu Dawood, where... Uh, um, that Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam one time he was riding on a camel and wahi started to come down. The camel could not bear the weight of it. The camel had to sit down. In another hadith, which I believe is also in Abu Dawood, Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu an, this young Sahabi, Madani Sahabi, Ansari Sahabi, who's uh, who dedicates himself to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa tells him, go learn uh, the, the language of the Jews. Because I don't, uh, I don't, when they send a letter, they have to translate it in Arabic. They knew Arabic. And I don't trust them. In half a month, in half a month, he learned the language. And whenever a letter would come to them, or Nabi sallallahu alayhi would have to correspond with them, he would be the one reading and writing. And he was among the, those who were min katibil wahi, who used to write the wahi down. He says that one time the ayat came, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sitting next to me. When the ayat started coming down, his leg fell on my leg. And uh, uh, when the ayat came down, his leg felt so heavy that I thought my thigh bone would break, would crush. Can you imagine? how the revelation must be on the Prophet Yet, the Prophet despite how difficult it was, Nabi would always be eager, always be waiting for the wahi. Because where it was difficult, where it was difficult, it also was what? Communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was also communication from Allah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying this to me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed this to me. So, these gatherings of tafsir, they're, they're, uh, don't consider them as something regular, like a regular program. Definitely every program has its own place. But the, the majlis of Qur'an, the dars of Qur'an is absolutely essential. That's why one of our mashayikh of the past, who we refer to as Shaykhul Hind, rahmatullahi alayhi, his name is Moana Mahmoud Hassan Diobandi. He was wrongly, char- he was charged with uh, 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 trying to... Um, uh, go against the British and there was a, 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 a warrant for his arrest. When they finally caught him, they took him to Malta. Malta is a small island near Italy. And they imprisoned him there for a number of years. When he finally was released from Malta, 
And he came back. In one of his speeches, he spoke to the ulama and he spoke to the people. And he said, during my time in Malta, I have come to the realization as to what are the causes, the reasons why the Muslims are facing this decline. This decline that we're facing from all over. Ottoman Empire had fallen. The Muslims in India are worried. The British, the, the, the colonizers are there in India. There's a rift now. Even with them gone, uh, uh, the Hindus come up. Now there's a discussion of, of whether, and not at that time, but the talks may have started at that time about a division of, between Pakistan and India. A, long, a bunch of different things. All of these things you see all around. And it, it's no different today. You look around the world and you see what's happening to the Muslims. Whether it's in this country or that country. You see what the Muslims are having to face. He said, I have come to the conclusion that there are two reasons why the Muslims are facing what they're facing. Number one is because they are detached to the Qur'an. They are detached to the Qur'an. And number two, they are engaged in their ikhtilaf, in opposing one another. Constantly bickering, constantly bickering. Forget about one Muslim and another Muslim. Brothers, people who are related by blood. People who are related by blood are bickering with one another. Who are sons and daughters of the same mother, same father, the same blood that flows in, their, in, in, in one's veins. That same blood flows in his brother's veins and they are bickering with one another. I remember one person, he approached me one time and he said that I know of a family, brothers, who are engaged in a lawsuit with one another. Why? Because their father... In, in India has a plot of land. He passed away and now they're bickering with one another about who gets the plot of land. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Allahu Akbar Kabira. You're blood brothers. You grew up together. You have the same mother. You have the same father. And now they live here. They go all the way there. They go all the way to India to fight about the plot of land. Yani Allahu Akbar. A'udhu Billahi Min Dali. So he said, if there are two reasons, that the Muslim Ummah is declining is number one because they are detached from the Quran. They have no idea what Allah is saying to them. They have no idea what Allah is communicating to them. And number two is they're always bickering with one another. Ikhtilaf. Oh, you're like this and you're like this. I follow this, you follow. Uh, subhanallah. You say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. You believe in the tenets of Islam, you're a Muslim. When it comes to ikhtilaf that is academic, that's different. Academic ikhtilaf. One that is academic does not lead. If you've ever seen the mashaykh of the past, you will find, you've always heard Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi, Imam Mal. You will find what's astonishing is they are students and teachers of one another. Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, his student is Imam Muhammad, one of his students, Imam Muhammad al-Shaybani. He is also the student of Imam Malik. He's also the teacher of Imam al-Shafi. And the problem is we don't educate ourselves. We are ready to spend years and years and years in public school, in, in middle school, college, high school, and all of these programs. But when it comes to our deen, we, are suffi we suffice ourselves with Sunday school. I have no, nothing wrong with Sunday school. Do you think that that is sufficient? Then we wonder, why are we so confused? Why are the Muslims so confused? Do I follow the Hanafi sect or do I follow the Shafi'i sect? Allahu Akbar. And you have no idea, these are not sects. This is not the, the, the time or place for this discussion. But I'm giving an example. Why is it like this? Why is, well, you have to educate yourself about Islam. Right? So the point is that the Qur'an is absolutely essential if we want to reform ourselves as individuals and as a community. When we stick to the Qur'an, when we understand what Allah Ta'ala is saying to us, then subhanAllah, you'll find change. Yes, individual change is important, it's good. One person changes, inshaAllah, we hope that the environment around, he helps affect that change in others. But remember, if you want to see change at a macro level, that it requires macro level change. Right? Makes sense, right? If you want to see change at a macro level, then there has to be a great degree of change. If, you're, if the change is at a micro level, you're going to see change at a micro level. If you want to see the collective condition of the Muslims to change, then the way it's going to change is when Muslims collectively change their attitude. When Muslims collectively change their attitude. 
This ayah which we're covering now, ayah number 28 of Surah Al-Kahf, and you've already been given some background of Surah Al-Kahf, that this is the, the surah, among the virtues of this surah, is that a person who recites the surah on the day of Jumu'ah, in some narrations it comes the first 10 ayat, some narrations it comes last 10 ayat, scholars say, you know, if you're able to recite first 10, last 10, if you're able to recite the whole surah, recite the whole surah. The one who does this, he will be protected from the fitna of Dajjal. He will be protected from the fitna of Dajjal. And Dajjal is the greatest fitna that humanity, humanity will ever have to face. There's no greater fitna, no greater trial that any ummah, any nation, any generation has had to face ever or will have to face that is greater than Dajjal. And Dajjal is the epitome of materialism. What could be more material than one calling himself God? What could be more material than that? You are made of flesh, you are made of bones, you are made of blood, and you call yourself God? Huh? Allah Ta'ala will bestow him with certain abilities. That is a test. That is a test that, uh, that through which the people will be put in fitna. Some will be confused. But those who stick to the Qur'an, those who stick to the sunnah of the Prophet they will not be deceived. They will immediately see Dajjal and they will recognize this is Dajjal. They will recognize this is Dajjal. And I tell you, looking at the way circumstances are going today in the world, Wallahu ta'ala, definitely, as time goes on, we're getting close to that time. That time when Dajjal will come is known Allah. Okay, think about it from this perspective. Humanity, right, we are bound by time and space. We, can, we only think based on time and space. We cannot think outside of time and space. It's very difficult for us. We're human beings, we're bound by it. But Allah is the one who created time and space. So all of humanity, all of humanity from the beginning till the end is in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if it's happening all at once. It's something that, again, is very difficult sometimes for us as human beings to comprehend. Allah's ilm, Allah's qudra is above everything. Our mind is limited, our understanding limited. Allah, every sifa of His, every attribute of His unlimited. His knowledge, unlimited. We don't have, even, we don't have the slightest idea what that means for knowledge to be unlimited. When we say power, absolute. Power, absolute, unlimited. We cannot even begin to fathom what that means. But that is the reality. So for him, any, the, the best way to try to explain is, you know, back in the day, I don't know if anybody knows now or not, but in the past, the way, you know, uh, uh, movies used to be made, it's not a best example, you know, but nonetheless, it's an example. They used to have these films, right? They used to be called motion pictures. Why? Because you had a bunch of pictures brought together, rotating at such a fast speed that it would look like these pictures were in motion. Right? Now, when the person who's watching, he's seeing one picture at, after the other, one picture after the other. Now, it's ha happening so rapidly that it looks like it's in motion. But at that very moment, he's seeing just one picture or a bunch of pictures in just a matter of seconds. But imagine the person who has the whole reel in front of him. From the beginning to the end, the whole reel is in front of him. Think of it like that. All of humanity, all of creation, forget humanity, all of creation. Allah knows when the beginning of creation was, Allah knows when the end of creation is. But all of that is in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of that is in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He knows exactly at which point he will have Dajjal emerge. Just like he knows exactly at which point that uh, Qiyamah will come. But for us, we don't know. We know that they are going to come. We don't know when they're going to come. But as every moment is going by, we're getting closer and closer to that time. Now we don't know. Maybe we die before that time comes. Maybe we live to see that time. We don't know that. And that's a very scary thought. Death in itself is something that is known. No one can deny it. Neither you nor I nor any person of any faith can deny that he or she is going to die at some point in time. That is also written by Allah. Every nation has a specified time for itself. And when that time comes, that, at that time it's gonna come, the person's gonna die. It cannot come 
a minute before, it will not come a minute after. Like that, the emergence of Dajjal, the, emer the coming of Imam Mahdi, which will happen before, the coming of Isa السلام, which will happen after the emergence of Dajjal. Whatever other signs of Qiyamah that are there, Ya'juj and Ma'juj, which is also discussed in this surah, their dhikr will come. It will be mentioned in this surah. Ya'juj and Ma'juj. And all the other things that Nabi Wasallam warned us about, the major signs of Qiyamah, each one have their appointed time. As a minute is going by, we're inching closer and closer and closer to that. Ha! We don't know whether we will live to see it or not. We don't know that. Allah Ta'ala knows. Things are moving very rapidly. Nobody can say, no alim, no mufti, no one can say, oh, we will see in our lifetime or we will not see in our lifetime. Oh, that's, that knowledge is known only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That doesn't mean that we, don't, we should not prepare for it. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in his lifetime, if you read the ahadith about Dajjal and the emergence of Dajjal, the way that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam taught the Sahaba and the way, the kind of uh, a worry and the kind of um, uh, you know, focus that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam instilled within them, they treated it as if it could happen at any time. Maybe even in the lifetime of the Prophet it could happen. That's how Nabi ﷺ taught the Ummah. In fact, it comes in one narration that every Nabi that came told his Ummah about Dajjal. Told his Ummah about Dajjal. So, one who recites this surah on Jumu'ah, if you're able to recite the whole surah, you recite the whole surah. If not, then at least the first 10 ayahs and the last 10 ayahs, it comes in the hadith that this will be a protection for the person from Dajjal and the fitna of Dajjal. This ayah which we recited, وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ The translation of it is, Moreover, keep yourself patient in the company of those humble believers who call upon their Lord with devotion, in the morning and in the evening, desiring only His countenance. Nor shall you turn your eyes from the likes of them, Desiring the adornment of the life of this world, nor shall you obey the dictates of anyone whose heart we have rendered heedless of our remembrance, who thus follows his whims and whose disposition is ever reckless in disregard of the truth. We'll go through this ayah, but the background of this ayah is that the, the individuals that accepted Islam early on, most of them were poor. Most of these individuals were from the fuqara. They didn't have very much. They didn't have very much with them. And because of that, their clothes were old. Their clothes were tattered. Their clothes uh, 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 had, uh, you know, uh, they, they smelled. They didn't, look, they didn't look pleasant, as we would consider. And so those were the leaders of the Quraysh. Those were the leaders at that time. They came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, if you want us to believe, if you want us to believe in the message that you came with, then leave their company. Leave their company. Leave them. And if you don't want to leave them, then fine, have a separate time for them and separate time for us. Okay? Have a separate time for them, have a separate time for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah. No, hold yourself back with those people who call Allah day and night. Don't turn towards them. Don't turn towards them. If they want to listen to the truth, they will have to sit with them as well. There is no separate. We're not going to separate the rich from the poor. The thing is that classically, traditionally, with almost all the anbiya, what used to happen is that those who were poor, those who didn't have very much, they were often the people who would accept the call of the messenger first. And those who had money, or those who had power, they would be hesitant. The reason is because a person who doesn't have very much, a person who doesn't have very much, whatever a person has in this life, sometimes it becomes a barrier between him and the truth. The person who doesn't have very much, the person who has very little, the person who has very little, it's sometimes quite easy for him to recognize the truth. When a person is speaking, right? When a person is telling that, look, you have to believe in Allah, you have to worship Allah, he has nothing to lose. He doesn't have anything. So very often, it would be the poor people who would accept the call. And the rich 
when this something different is here, right? And you think about it this way, that we have for generations, think about it in the Arabian context, in the Arabian Peninsula, in that context, in the context of the Prophet ﷺ's time. For generations, there was no Prophet that came to the Arabs. Generations. The last Prophet who was, was sent to them was Ismail ﷺ. Between Ismail ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ, there was no Prophet. So at some point in time, at some point in time, shirk, kufr, these things started to creep in. And now generations, generations are now worshipping idols to such an extent that in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, you have now over 300 idols surrounding the Kaaba or within the Kaaba. Within the Kaaba or surrounding the Kaaba. 300 plus idols. Now when this messenger comes and now he's telling you that these idols that you've been worshipping and that your parents have been worshipping and your grandparents have been worshipping, that, that your generations have been worshipping, these are all false. Not only that, he provides you with logical reasons. He's provide, you created them with your own hand. In fact, Sahaba later on who accepted Islam, they mentioned, said when we were in Jahiliyyah, we, we can't imagine what was our state. We would, we would make the idols from our own hands. If we didn't have an idol, it comes in one Sahabi narrates his own uh, uh, story, or his own account, that I was traveling. I didn't have any idol with me, so what did I do? I made an idol out of dates. Out of the dates I had, I made an idol out of them. I, I was worshipping him. I'm worshipping this idol. Then when I became hungry, I ate it. And Allahu Akbar. Right? It doesn't make... How, how is this your God? You, you, you carved it out with your own hands. How is that your God? Allah Ta'ala mentions, you speak to them, do they respond to you? You know, what, if, if a fly were to come and sit on them, can it shoo it away? It can't do anything. How are you worshipping it? These are false. You have these. Not only that, then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala equips every messenger and every prophet with mu'ajizah. The mu'ajizah is something that cannot be replicated. Human beings cannot replicate it. That's the idea behind the mu'ajizah. It cannot be replicated. Mu'ajizah actually comes from the word for those who are studying Arabic uh, from Bab Ifal. So those who've studied Arabic or in the first year. Bab Ifal. A'ajaza yu'ajizu. Ajiza means to be weak. We use it in the, in the Urdu language, ajiz. I'm weak. I, I'm, I'm incapable. When you put it in this form, it gives the meaning to render something incapable. To render someone or something incapable. To make something or someone unable to do something. So mu'jiza, which is ismul fa'il, means something that renders another thing incapable. So the mu'jiza, when it comes down, nobody is able to replicate it. They, become, they fall weak. You take any example. Isa alayhi salam. The birth of Isa alayhi salam was a mu'ajizah. Can anybody replicate this idea of a woman without you know, any form of insemination? However, I know nowadays you have all kinds of things, but without any of that, a woman becoming pregnant. Impossible. It's not possible. It's a mu'ajizah. Right? Uh, Musa alayhi salam with his staff. Now it's something that we may not be able to understand in our context, but you have to think about it in their context. Here, Fir'aun is gathering his army of, of sorcerers and magicians. All of them are ready to combat Musa salam. Here Musa salam comes and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, al throw your staff down. And all the sorcery, all the magic that they perform, swallowed up by the snake. And those, they're experts. They're experts in the field of magic and sorcery. They realize, oh no, 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 this is no sorcery. Mm-mm. All of them fall down in, 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 in sajda. Because they recognize, Rabbi Musa wa Harun. This is the, this, uh, we believe in the Lord of Musa and Harun. We know sorcery. We've studied sorcery. We know the intricacies of sorcery. This is not sorcery. This is something beyond. It's a mu'ajizah. Isa alayhi salam. Curing sicknesses that could not be cured. It's mu'ajizah. Likewise, the Qur'an is mu'ajizah. The Arabs knew kalam. They knew how to recognize kalam. They knew sorcery as well. But when they heard the Qur'an, they were dumbfounded. They were dumbfounded. Oh, this is no sorcery. This is no magic. This is no poetry. This is nothing like we've ever seen. 
And you feel it too. Today at Isha, if you were here and listening to the Imam recite, did you not feel? If you were paying attention, if you were standing with khushu' and khudu' listening, you have to pay attention, you have to listen. If you are listening, it does something to your heart. You stand there and you just say, Allah, Allah, Allah. It does something. This is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember one time, myself and a couple friends, we were invited to a, um, one of those, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, no, there were uh, people from different religions. Interfaith. Interfaith uh, 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 discussion and dialogue. So we went there. So they asked us, you know, uh, can someone, you know, recite a little bit of the Quran? And so one of my friends, he recited Surah Al-Fatiha. That's it. He recited Surah Al-Fatiha. After the program was done, and, you know, we were leaving, uh, one girl, young girl, college student, she came up rushing. And she said, what is it that you, that you recited? Because I don't know what you said, I don't know what it meant, but I had, I had tears in my eyes. I had tears in my eyes. I don't know what you said, I don't know a, a word that you said, but I just couldn't stop crying. It has an effect. Uh, any heart that, is, that has some purity, that is, is pure, that is away from sin, that is away from, you know, uh, 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 there are certain types of sins that cause the heart to become hardened. So even when a person is a non-Muslim, but they, they are true, they're people who speak honestly, what happens is when they listen to the Qur'an, it has an effect on them, to a certain degree. And depending on the condition of their heart, it has more or less effect. That's why there are people who listen to the Qur'an, it has no effect. They listen to it and they laugh. Why? Because their heart is very hard. It's hardened. That's what Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an. Alqa sab'a wa huwa shaheed. Yani, liman kana lahu qalbun aw alqa sab'a wa huwa shaheed. The Qur'an has an effect. The Qur'an has maw'idha for somebody who gives his heart to it. Who gives his heart to it and who pays attention to it. For him, he will find that the Qur'an changes. In any case, I was mentioning that when the poor, whenever any prophet came, it was usually the poor people who would come and they would accept, they would believe. The rich, they have barriers. When, when these things come, and again, think about in the context of Arabia, Arabian Peninsula, for generations you have uh, uh, people worshipping idols, and now you have a prophet saying that, look, all of this is false, you have to believe in one Allah, there's Jannah, there's Jahannam, once you die, you will be resurrected, all your bones, all your, uh, your, your uh, cells, everything will be brought together, to such an extent, in the Quran, Allah even mentions, even your fingertips, even your fingertips will be brought back as they were in the dunya. And it's very interesting, the Mufassirin right there too, is why did Allah Ta'ala mention the fingertips, bunan? Right? It's because we know that no two individuals have the same fingerprint. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, we will bring a person back exactly as he was in the dunya. We'll bring him back. The kuffar couldn't believe this. Khair, mu'ajizah came, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi displayed mu'ajizah. But these individuals who, despite seeing all of this, seeing the mu'ajizah, listening to the Qur'an, they still had other barriers that they were not ready to break down. Power, wealth, authority, these are very powerful influences. Very powerful influences. When this came down, the first thing that these, these people would think about is, what's gonna happen to my wealth? What's gonna happen to my authority? What's gonna happen to my power that I have? I will have to give it all up. That's why none of them were ready to accept. They're not ready to accept. So they would make excuses. Among the excuses was this. Do what? Leave them. They're poor. We cannot sit with the poor people. We cannot sit with the poor people. They, they reek. They smell. They don't have anything. So what do you do is, you either leave them, or you set a separate time for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, no. Wasbir nafsak. Isbir. Hold yourself back. Actually, sabr in Arabic means to restrain oneself. To hold oneself back. That's the meaning of sabr in Arabic. That's why Ramadan is called Shahru sabr Is the month of sabr. Why? You have to hold yourself back. When we talk about calamities, why do we say you have to have sabr? And you have to hold yourself back. You have to hold yourself back from saying or doing things that are inappropriate, that are against the, the, the pleasure of Allah, that are against the tawakkul in Allah. 
That's why you may have heard in, in other speeches or perhaps in, in the tafsir itself that sabr is also required in, in worship, in obedience. Why? You have to hold yourself back. When you're praying salat, there are times where your mind is going everywhere. Your mind is going everywhere. You have to bring it back. You have to hold yourself. And you feel like, you know what? I just, I have to do such and such thing. I have to do X, Y, and Z. Let me quickly pray salat and get it over with. But what do you have to do? Hold yourself back. Isbir. Hold yourself back. Have patience. Okay? Likewise, at the time of sin, when your nafs wants to commit a sin, your nafs is telling you, Oh, look at this. You know you're not supposed to look at it. You're online. Nafs is saying, okay, go here, do this. You know you're not supposed to. Or you're sitting in the car and you say, oh, you know what, it's a long drive. Let me, let me, you know, put on the radio. You know you're not supposed to. But there's, your nafs is inciting you. You're thinking about it. You're thinking, I should, I should, I should. And finally, you, but over at that time, you require sabr. Sabar is what? Hold yourself back. Restrain yourself. Refrain yourself from doing that. That is sabar. So, wasbir nafsak. Hold yourself back. Ma'alladina. With those. Yadu'una rabbahum. Who call their Lord. Bil ghadati wal ashiyi. By morning and evening. By morning and evening. Does it mean that they call Allah in the morning and then they call Allah in the evening? This is an expression. We use it in Urdu. We use it in English as well. For example, in Urdu we say, بھئی صبح شام وہ یہ کام کرتے رہتا ہے رات دن وہ کام کرتے رہتا ہے صبح شام وہ کرتے رہتا ہے What does that mean? یعنی all day long, all night long, he's just doing this. صبح شام پڑھتے رہتا ہے وہ رات دن پڑھتے رہتا ہے وہ All night long, all day long, he's re- it doesn't mean that it's only in the morning and only in the evening. No, it's an expression meaning all day long. Whenever he gets an opportunity, that's what he does. We say, in English too, sometimes we use it. Sometimes we say all day long, we say, man, morning and evening. Morning and evening, all he's doing is this. So it's like that. Bil ghadati wal ashi. doesn't mean that they worship Allah in the morning and then they worship Allah in the evening. It means their day is constantly occupied. Yadu'una rabbahum, calling their Lord. Da'a yadu'u, calling their Lord. Yadu'una rabbahum. And calling their Lord, how? Through ibadah, through dhikr. There are certain ibadat that are fard and they have their times. For example, prayer. Prayer is five times, that is fard. You have the sunnahs that come along with it. And then there are certain times in the day where actually you're not allowed to pray. For example, at the time of sunrise, at the time of sunset, and at the time when the sun is at its peak, those are times that are makru, a person is not allowed to pray. Likewise, fasting. Fasting has its own times. You fast from dawn to dusk. But then there are days where you are not allowed to fast. Those are the days of Eid. The day of Eid al-Fitr, you are not allowed to fast. The day of Eid al-Adha, the 10th of Dhul-Hijjah, not allowed to fast. 11th, 12th, and 13th. These five days you are not allowed to fast. Deen in actuality, is, I'm going to go into a little side point. Deen in actuality is doing and submitting to the will of Allah Ta'ala. A person says to himself, Oh, I'm praying salat, I'm fasting, let me do it how I want. Day of Eid comes, I'm gonna fast today. Today's the day of Eid, right? Today's the day of Eid, I'm gonna fast today. I've been fasting for 29, 30 days, I'm gonna fast today too. No, 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 you're getting a sin for it. Even though you're like, oh, it's fasting, how could it be a sin? No, because Allah did not want you to fast on this day. Salat, I'm praying two rakat nafil. What could be wrong with two rakat nafil? When am I gonna pray? Right at the time of sunset. Right when the sun is setting. Or right when the sun is rising. Or when the sun is at its peak. I'm gonna pray right then. No, that's now you're getting a sin. In fact, the whole uh, hajj, the whole hajj is a training for this very idea. You are not in control. You're not supposed to do what you want. You're supposed to do what he wants. You look, for those who've been in hajj, and for those who, are not, who did not go, I pray, I make dua, Allah Ta'ala, give us all the means to go and, and perform the hajj. But in hajj, what happens? Eighth, when the eighth day comes, you have to go to Mina. You have to spend the whole day in Mina. Five salat, it's good too. It's, mustah, it's sunnah to pray uh, 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 all the five prayers in Mina. Somebody can say, oh, there's a hadith that say that praying in Masjid al-Haram is so much reward, there's so much reward for it. It's multiplied by a uh, hundred thousand times. 
So I'm not going to go to Mina. I'm going to stay in Makkah Mukarramah and pray. He's not going to get the reward. Why? Because on the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, if you are performing the Hajj, you have to be in Mina. Deen is not about what you and I like. Deen is not about what you and I like. Someone says, you know what? I don't have the means. I don't have the means to go for Hajj. You know what? Let me make a Baytullah here. Anyone who's able to, tra to travel, come here. Here we have the Sa'i. You can do Baytullah tawaf around here. And you can do the Sa'i. This is not Safa Marwa. Huh? This is swift road. You do Sa'i here. And Hajj is completed. It's not, it doesn't count. Hajj can only be performed in Dhul Hijjah during those specific days. Ninth day comes, Dhuhr, before Dhuhr, you have to get to uh, Arafah. If, uh, you have to, if you get to, you have to, on the ninth day, you have to go to Arafah. Now look what Allah Ta'ala says. What do we find in Hadith? When you are in Arafah, you stay there till Maghrib. Don't pray Maghrib. When you're in Arafah, on the ninth day, don't pray Maghrib. Once Maghrib time comes in, head out to Muzdalifah. Somebody says, well, we read in the books of fiqh that Maghrib salah you have to perform on time. As soon as the Maghrib time comes in, it is mustahab to pray. As soon as the time comes in, it is makru to delay the Maghrib. In fact, according to some a'imma, if you delay the Maghrib for more than like 5-10 minutes, it's considered makru. But it is mustahab that you pray it immediately and you do not delay it. The more you delay, it's makru. But somebody says, look, look, it's makru. We have to pray Maghrib right now, right here. No, no, no. What is said? You are going to pray Maghrib in Muzdalifa. Even, you, you say, well, by the time I get to Muzdalifa, Maghrib time is going to be over. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter. You will still pray Maghrib when you reach Muzdalifa. And you will pray Maghrib and Isha together. Deen is what Allah commanded. Not what you and I think. It's not what you and I, I think you know, today I'm gonna please Allah Ta'ala like this. No, 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 no. You please Allah Ta'ala the way He wants you to be pleased. The way He wants you to please Him. Okay? It's like for example, you know, uh, a, a parent, he says to his child, you know, J just get X, Y, and Z things done. All I ask you to do is just get X, Y, and Z things done. So what does he do? He doesn't do X, Y, and Z, he does A, a B, and C. He says, I did this for you. So, I didn't ask you to do this. And if I told you to do this and this and this, you didn't do that. You did something else. So will he, be, he feel happy or not? He'll say, well, I didn't, you didn't do what I told you to do. You did what you wanted to do. So same thing. Deen, when we say Islam, Islam, Muslim is somebody who submitted himself to the will of Allah. What Allah? Allah says, stand, we stand. Allah says, sit, we sit. Allah says, fast, we fast. Allah says, don't fast today, we don't fast. Allah says, pray, we pray. Allah says, don't pray, we don't pray. That is deen. So, wasbir nafsaka ma'al ladina yadu'una rabbahum bil ghadati wal By morning and evening, yuriduna. Why are they, why are they calling their Lord? Why are they calling their Lord? Yuriduna wajha. They want His countenance. They count, want His countenance. Wajh. Okay? Wajh is in Arabic is also an expression used to mean somebody's pleasure. I did it, you may have heard in Arabic sometimes. Li wajhillah. I did this. Li wajhillah. Yani? I did it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All the, they're not, they don't have any ulterior motive. They don't have any, uh, any other motive behind their calling Allah except the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The pleasure of Allah. These are those people. Okay? So these were the Sahaba. These were the poor Sahaba. In the books of Tafsir, they mentioned the names of Bilal radiallahu anh. For anybody who's read the story of Bilal radiallahu anh. Bilal radiallahu anh. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anh. Khabbab radiallahu anh. These were sahaba who devoted their time. They devoted their time, their energy. They didn't have very much. They didn't have very much in this life. And uh, 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 all day long they would be sitting, they would be learning from the Prophet When they were in Makkah, they would be tortured. When they were in Makkah, they would have to deal with torture. I don't need to repeat the story of Bilal radiallahu anh. Almost all of us know the story of Bilal radiallahu anh. Khabbab radiallahu anh. Subhanallah. You read the story of Khabbab radiallahu anh. Umar radiallahu anh used to see, there used to be uh, these like, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, craters in his back. Craters in his back. And when he asked, what, hap what, what happened to your back? He said, oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, when I accepted Islam, my, my, my owner, to try to convince me to leave Islam, he, they would, him and his people would take me, grab me, and lay me down on hot, hot, uh, uh, burning rocks. 
and it would be my blood and flesh that would put out the, the, the heat of, 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 uh, of, the, of those. And so in the process, what would it do? It, it would go deep into my body. That's what you see here in my back. What sacrifices they went through. It's a study from the Prophet ﷺ. Wahi is coming and they're learning from the Prophet ﷺ. They're learning from the Prophet ﷺ. Those who are rich, they, they were always afraid. What's gonna happen to our power? What's gonna happen? To... And even in the hereafter, it comes about the fuqara. From the virtues of the fuqara, it comes in the ahadith. That the fuqara will enter paradise. They will enter paradise decades ahead of everyone else. Decades ahead of everyone else. Why? Think about it. A person, I'll give an example. I'll give this example to the students here. Imagine there are two people. I get both of these people. I say, you know what? For you, I'm giving you $10. I give you $10. And I want you to buy X, Y, and Z. $10, how many things are you going to buy with it? Say, you know, buy me a bag of chips. You know, get me some cookies. Okay, maybe that's about it. You can buy with $10 these days. Huh? Okay. And another person, I give $1,000. Obviously, if I'm giving a person a thousand dollars, I mean, assuming that there's a lot of items that to buy, okay, groceries, thousand dollars worth of groceries, I say here, go buy, buy, you know, these things. Now, when the person comes with the ten dollars and the receipt, how big is the receipt going to be? This is going to be the small. So I'm going to look at him like, okay, Chelo, you uh, you bought it, okay, no problem. He says, here's the change. Okay, great. But the person who I gave a thousand dollars to, how big is his receipt going to be? Oh. Now, I want to make sure, how did you spend the thousand dollars? I'm going to look. Okay, you spent ten dollars here, you spent twenty dollars with this, you passed fifty dollars here, a hundred dollars there. The list is going to be very big. A person who comes on the day of judgment, and he was not given very much in life, how do you think his hisab kitab will be on the day of judgment? You had nothing. There was no, you had no money, you had very, barely any food, you had barely any clothing on you. No hisab kitab. You worshipped Allah Ta'ala for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. You didn't care about the people's wealth. You didn't care about the people's, you know, you didn't care about authority. You didn't care about power. Chalo, go into Jannah. Nothing. What am I going to, what am I, what is Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala going to ask them about? That's why you find in the hadith, a person who is, who, who's blind, who cannot see, right? Is Allah Ta'ala going to ask him, how did you use your eyes? No. You didn't have anything to see. You didn't have your eyes. So the whole chapter, the whole any discussion on the things that you could have seen, is not there. His hisab kitab, less. Those who are given this ni'mah, you have eyes that you could see with. You have ears that you could hear with. Allah gave you money. Allah gave you wealth. Allah Ta'ala gave you health. Oh, beware. All of these things will be questioned on the Day of Judgment. And today, we have so many fa facilities. We have so many facilities available to us. All of these things will be questioned. Then you will be asked, definitely asked about all the blessings given to you. I gave you eyes. What did you do with those eyes? You ruined them. You ruined them by looking at haram. I gave you these ears. What did you do with them? You ruined them by listening to haram. I gave you a power. I gave you strength. What did you do? You used them. You, you wasted them in, in haram. Question after question will be this. But the person who doesn't have it, he's not going to be questioned. So the aghniya, their list will be long. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that a person now say, you know what, I'm giving everything up, I'm donating everything, I'm going to now live a faqir. No. It doesn't mean that. What that means is, you look at what position Allah Ta'ala has given you. You have wealth, you don't have wealth. Where are you at? Thank Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Thank Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And use and do with what you have according to what Allah Ta'ala likes. If Allah has given you wealth, Make sure that you use the wealth, make sure you use the wealth as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. And that's why those who give charity, so many ayat, so many ahadith that talk about the aghniya, who give, who give the charity, how much reward Allah ta'ala has in store for them. How much Allah, one who gives, one who gives without any intention of showing off, without any intention of trying to, uh, uh, um, you know, ask people for, for favors or, or wanting people to follow him or to praise him or, or whatnot. He doesn't do it. He does it for the sake of Allah. Look at the kind of reward that's waiting for him. And yes, those who don't have anything, they sabr, sabr. They have patience. Okay? Uh, do not let your eyes turn away from them. Yani, don't let your eyes 
to your focus, turn away from these Sahaba. These Sahaba who are there, who are dedicated their times, they are there to learn about Allah. You are the only one, Ya Rasulullah, who can teach them about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're the only one that can tell them about Allah. So don't turn your eyes away from them. Don't let your eyes turn away from them. Turidu zinatil wanting, wanting the, the adornment of this lowly life. Now that doesn't mean that Nabi Sallallahu wanted that. It's not that Nabi Sallallahu is thinking about it. Why? Because he wants the dunya. No. Allah Ta'ala, it is a subtle ishara that those people who are occupied with other people's wealth for the sake of the wealth, it means what? That these are individuals or looking at people who have power, who have authority and trying to get into their favor. These are people who wanting the hayatul dunya. These are the people who want hayatul dunya. Hayatul dunya is not gonna last. Hayatul dunya is very little. And sometimes, you know, this is what I say. When you are, there are times when I, I'm teaching the, the students and I, I'm with them. There are times when subhanAllah, when we cover these ayat, where Sometimes you just pause and say, Subhanallah, yeah, this is a reality. And you hear it, you know it, you talk about it, you know it. Everybody knows we're gonna die one day. Everybody here, Alhamdulillah, everybody knows that there's Qiyamah. We talk about Jannah, we talk about Jahannam. But there are times where some, it, it, it like clicks. Like, oh my gosh, Subhanallah, this is real. This is real. I, I'm sitting here with all of you right now. You're sitting here, with, where all of us are sitting together. There is a day when all of us will be collected. Where all of us will be standing in front of Allah. That is a reality. And just like you and I are, are here, we're gathered together. You can see one, we can see one another. There is a day that's gonna come when we're all going to be standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's terrifying. That's a reality. It's not a, some fantasy. It's not some sort of mythology that we're talking about or some sort of fable. Right, that we, we, we're reading from a, from a bedtime story to our kids. It's, it's a reality. We're going to stand in front of Allah. One hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, There will be a day when the people will be gathered. You will be, the people will be gathered. On the day of judgment. Barefoot. Naked. Ghurlan, uncircumcised. Aisha radiallahu anha said, Ya Rasulullah, won't people be looking at each other? That's a natural thought that would come to a person's mind. He said, Ya Aisha, Al-Amru ashaddu min an yandhura ba'dhum ila ba'dhu kama qala alayhi salatu wa salam. Oh Aisha, the matter will be very serious. The matter on that day will be very severe than people worrying about, oh, I, I, who's naked and who's not. It will be much more, more scarier than that. In one hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that there will be a time on the Day of Judgment where everybody will fall unconscious. Everybody will be unconscious. I will be the first person to regain my consciousness. And when I regain my consciousness, I will find Musa ﷺ, Musa ﷺ, Kalimullah, holding the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Already awake, and I don't know, begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I don't know whether he, he, he regained his consciousness before me, or because of the dunya. In the dunya, Musa alayhi he became unconscious, right? When Musa alayhi asked, Ya Allah, please send your tajalli down. Because of that, Musa alayhi became unconscious. I don't know, perhaps Musa alayhi did not even become unconscious, I won't know. Maybe he didn't even become unconscious or maybe he regained his consciousness before me. But that's how that matter will be on that day. It comes in one long hadith. about the, This is known as the hadith of shafa'ah, of the intercession of the Prophet ﷺ. That when there will be stages on the day of judgment, one after the other, one after the other, and one stage, the, the, the reckoning had, had not started yet. The reckoning will not have started yet, yet. And the people will be so terrified. And you know, sometimes waiting for something, anticipating something, that in itself is maut. It's a very famous statement in Arabic. Al-intizaru ashaddu min al-maut. Waiting for something sometimes is more severe than death. You're waiting, you're anticipating. They will be so terrified because of waiting for this reckoning, that they will go to Adam a.s. Say, oh Adam, you are the one who Allah created, you are the first of us, you are the father of humanity, please ask Allah to begin. The day of judgment. Say, oh, this is not for me. I cannot do it. I cannot. Go to Nuh. Go to Nuh. Ask him. They will go to Nuh salam. Say, Ya Nuh, you are the person who Allah saved on the boat. You are the one who Allah chose. 
Allah saved you on the boat. Ya Nuh, go. Please ask Allah Ta'ala on our behalf to start the day of judgment. Say, this is not for me. I cannot do it. They will, he will say, go to Ibrahim. They will go to Ibrahim. Ya Ibrahim, you are Khalilullah. You are the friend of Allah. Oh Ibrahim, please ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to begin the day. It's not for me. It's not for me. Go to Musa. They'll go to Musa. He'll say, go to Isa. They'll go to Isa. Isa will say, go to Muhammad sallallahu This is a reality. This is not some sort of storytelling time that we're telling some sort of fantasy. Or... Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa told us. He was given knowledge. He was given the knowledge of this and he's informing from that knowledge which you and I do not have access to. We cannot access. What happens after a death? What's gonna happen in the grave? What's gonna happen uh, on the day of judgment? We don't have access to that. Allah gave that knowledge to the Prophet ﷺ and he's informing you now. This is what will happen. This is what will happen. Seven will be under the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's throne when there will be no other shade except for the shade of Allah. This is a reality. This is a fact. It will happen. Are we prepared for it? Are we prepared for it? Do not let your eyes turn away from them wanting the life of this world. The life of this world will come and it will go. If you're chasing this life, if you're after this life, if all you want, if your knowledge, the pinnacle of everything is this life, you have failed in the hereafter. You have failed in the hereafter. وَلَا تُطِعْ Do not follow. Do not obey. مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ One who we made his heart ghafil. The one who made, we made his heart heedless. And ذِكْرِنَا From our remembrance. وَاتَّبَعَ هَوَاهُ Why did we make his heart heedless? Is because he follows his desires. He follows his desires. And his matter has transgressed the bounds. Furut, we use the word in Urdu to ifrat and tafrit. Both are actually Arabic words. Furut is to go beyond the bounds. So there are limits that Allah has, uh, that Allah has placed. You have to remain within those boundaries when you're in this life. The one who has gone beyond that, means he has transgressed the ahkam of Allah. He has disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَكَانَ amru His matter is one that has, that has gone in transgression, that has gone beyond the bounds. Do not follow him. Do not listen to what he has to say. If they are true, they are sincere, they will come to you and they will, they will learn. Your job is to let them know. Inform them. Ya ayyuhar rasulu ma as it comes in another place in the Quran. Ya ayyuhar rasulu ma unzila ilayka min rabbik. Deliver the message that has been given to you, but you are not responsible over them. You are not responsible. Them believing or them not believing, you are not responsible. Each one has been given the choice. You can believe, you can choose. You can choose. You can choose to make a sacrifice in this life or you can choose not to. You can choose to, to worship Allah, stand in prayer, recite Qur'an, do dhikr, or you can choose not to. Hold yourself back. Sabr is needed. And I tell you, my dear respected brothers, I say this for myself first and foremost. This life is very short. Be ready to sacrifice. Be ready to make those qurbani for the sake of Allah. If that means that you, you're, you're, you're sacrificing some things of the dunya, and you have to do it for the sake of the akhirah, do it. It may be difficult. You want to see things that, you, that your heart desires. Stop yourself from seeing those things. It is a, it is a, it is a matter of, of a short time. It is a matter of short time that you have to do it for. You want to listen to things that you know is disliked by Allah. Stop yourself. Hold yourself back. You want to engage in things that you know Allah is displeased with. Hold yourself back for the sake of Allah. And is it difficult? It is absolutely difficult. I don't disagree with that. It is difficult. But are we not ready to make sacrifices for the sake of Allah? Those individuals who were ready to, to let their blood shed, who were ready for their blood to, to bleed from their bodies, who were ready for, 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 to give up their actual lives for the sake of Allah. We are not ready to give up these things that are disliked by Allah. We have to prepare. We have to make those sacrifices. And I tell you on the day of judgment, those sacrifices will bear fruition. They will bear fruit. When the person goes into Jannah and he sees the manazil, he sees the, 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 the ranks in Jannah and he's told, this is your rank because of the sacrifices that you did. إِنَّمَا يُوَفَّ الصَّابِرُونَ أَجْرَهُمْ بِغَيْرِ حِسَابٍ The reward of those who are patient is not, there's no count for it. 
We're not going to count how much reward. There, we, can, we will not quantify the reward of those who are patient. Hold yourself back. And from here we learn, and I finish with this, from here we learn the importance of the suhba of good company. Allah commanded the Prophet, Allah commanded the Prophet of Allah, the, the Prophet himself, who is the markaz, who is the center, who is the, 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 uh, the, 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 the pillar that everyone comes to. Allah commanded him, be with them, those who call Allah. And it comes in the hadith that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say after this ayah, Alhamdulillahi alladhi ja'ala fi ummati man kana amarallahu that all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who made in my ummah those who he commanded me to be with. Those who Allah commanded me to be with. Alhamdulillah to them. So people who are, who love Allah, these masajid, these madaris, these are our strongholds. These are our strongholds. This is what will give us encouragement. This is what will give us energy. This will give us motivation to follow the Quran, to learn the Quran, to follow the Quran, to follow the Sunnah of the Prophet It will motivate us. This, at one point in time, you know, I hear my, my teachers and others used to tell that there was a time when there was nothing here. There was no masjid here, right? When was this construction of this masjid? Two thousand? It was a dog pound, subhanAllah. Today, subhanAllah, there's a masjid here. There's a madrasa here, where students are learning the Qur'an, where students are learning the hadith of the Prophet We cannot imagine the kind of nur, spiritual nur, that is spreading because of that. And it is a great fortune for us that we are here witnessing this. Don't take it for granted. Sometimes it happens when you are exposed to something a lot, even if it's good, when you're exposed to something a lot, you become desensitized to it. Don't desensitize yourself to this. Every day remind yourself, what a great ni'mah of Allah. What a great ni'mah of Allah. What a great ni'mah of Allah. I have to come. I have to pray here. I have to try to benefit. I have to do whatever I can. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive our sins. Grant us ilm and taqwa. Grant us ma'rifah and maghfirah. Grant us uh, ikhlas and ihsan. Wa akhiru da'wan. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. We'll do a little bit, five minute uh, uh, dhikr and, and, uh, and, and dua inshallah because I, I was told that Mufti Adim usually does it. So just very little, I know it's already a bit late. So we'll just maybe spend a, a little bit of time inshallah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala عليه وسلم لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله تعالى عليه وسلم Allah, Allah, Allahu, Allah, 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 Allahu, Allah. Allah, 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 Jalla Jalaluhu, Amma Nawaluhu, Ta'ala Shanu. 
صلى الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم 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 اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار رب ارحمهما كما ربياني صغيرا رب اجعلنا مقيم الصلاة ومن ذريتنا وربنا وتقبل دعاء ربنا اغفر لنا ولوالدينا والإخواننا المسلمين اللهم إنا نسألك العفو والعافية والصحة والسلامة في الدنيا والآخرة ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين وجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا لا تزق قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب اللهم إنا نسألك علما نافعا وعملا متقبلا وقلبا خاشعا ورزقا حلالا طيبا واسعا يا الله forgive our sins يا الله any sin that we have committed يا الله whether it be minor whether it be major يا الله forgive them all whether they were committed openly or whether they were committed in privacy يا الله we ask that you forgive all of those sins يا الله you forgive all of those sins يا الله we ask that you accept whatever good deeds that we do يا الله we ask that you grant us tawfiq to do more good deeds. Ya Allah, we ask that you give us the tawfiq to sacrifice for your sake, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask that you give us the tawfiq to sacrifice for your sake. Ya Allah, whatever difficulties we may be facing, Ya Allah, as individuals or as a community, Ya Allah, we ask that you aid us, Ya Allah, that you help us, whether it's related to our families, our our parents, our wives, our husbands, our children, Ya Allah, whatever they may be, Ya Allah, we ask that you provide a solution for us. Ya Allah, if it is related to finances, Ya Allah, we ask that you make it easy for us, Ya Allah. You make them easy for us. Ya Allah, we ask that uh, uh, when we die, when the final hour comes for our death, Ya Allah, when the final moment comes, Ya Allah, grant us tawfiq that we say, La ilaha illallah, that we are reading and we are reciting, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Ya Allah, raise us on the day of judgment among the salihin, among the anbiya, among the siddiqeen, Ya Allah, among those who you love. Ya Allah, allow us to enter into Jannah with these individuals. Ya Allah, do not allow us to get close to Jahannam. Ya Allah, save us, protect us from Jahannam. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept whatever we do. Ya Allah, grant us tawfiq, protect us from the fitna that are to come, whatever the fitna may be, whether it's the fitna of mal, whether it's the fitna of hubbu dunya, hubbu jah, whether it's the fitna of dajjal, whether it's the fitna of ya'juj ma'juj. Ya Allah, whatever they may be, Ya Allah, we ask that you protect us, our children, our families, our progenies to come. <clears throat> ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين